Good to see all of you. Thank you for uh, choosing to be with us here at uh, Trinity Bible Church. Uh, what a difference a day makes with the weather, right? Praise God, we needed some rain, and everybody's enjoying the great humidity. We love it, don't we? It's awesome. Uh, just what happens with your hair when you just walk right out, out the door, right? But we praise the Lord that we get to be in this place together to worship, because we have been created to worship God. And the word tells us that God the Father is looking for true worshipers that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus tells us that when he's interacting with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he's talking all about worship and how there will be a day coming, and he says, actually arrived with him where there need not be worship in one particular place, like on the mountain where the Hebrews thought, or a different place where the Samaritans thought, with their mountain or in the temple, but that we could worship God wherever we are, because we are now, as believers, called the temple of the Holy Spirit, for he lives within us. But yet at the same time, even though we have that great freedom and opportunity to worship God, we still gather together on Sunday mornings especially, Uh, to honor God and to worship him. And we do that together because there is something very special about worshiping the Lord together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so in just a moment, I will uh, ask you to stand and we'll worship God through song, which is one of the ways that we love to honor God together. Uh, But I wanted to begin by our uh, reading from the Old Testament as our call to worship. And I would ask that as you listen to this probably familiar story, um, that you just consider the the nature and person of our God. For in order to understand who we are, uh, which is something we often consider who we are and our place and purpose in life, we are to understand and to know God, for he is our creator. 
And so consider what these words from Exodus chapter 3 have to say about the nature and identity of our God. And let this um, reading be our call into worship that very God this morning. Here's what it says from Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am 
has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Would you stand with me, please? For this is the God whom we serve and the God whom we worship. God is the self-existent one. He has no creator. He has no beginning and end. He tells Moses, tell them, I am sent me. He is who he is. He is the self-existent one. It is his name for all generations, and it is that name that we worship him today. And it is that name who sent us Jesus, who we are about to worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for being who you are. Not only, God, do we thank you for all you have done for us, but first we thank you for being you. You are, I am. You always have been, you are today, and you always will be. God, we truly, in our finite minds, cannot comprehend that but yet we believe it to be true, and we worship you now because of that truth, that you are God Almighty. You deserve all the praise and glory and honor. So this time now, Father, is for you. May we worship you with reverence. May we worship you with pure joy of heart, because we get to worship the God who is. It's in, it's in that name and the name of Jesus, the name above all names that we pray and worship. Amen. Let's worship our true God.
The great I am says who we are, right? So take a moment to greet one another in that great name, Jesus. Poverty is found in me So let 
All right, let's uh, find our way back to our seats. We praise the Lord for a great time of fellowship and, of course, of worship. We'll be talking all about what we were singing in that last song, right? That uh, we need to understand who we are in Jesus Christ and understand our identity, who God is and who we are. And that will be a, a big part of our theme in our reading this morning. So just want to get caught up in a few things, uh, just briefly. Remember that next, um, next week, next Sunday uh, at 6 p.m. is the monthly outreach, and that is at uh, the Point Pleasant Beach Boardwalk. We'll be meeting outside of the aquarium on Jenkinson's Boardwalk, and that's 6 o'clock next um, Sunday. Make sure you check out our website for details. If you have any questions about that, you can see Andrew... Uh, and Elizabeth, who oversee our missions team, and uh, they'll be overseeing that outreach as well. So if you're interested, please uh, let them know, but that'll be um, next Sunday, 6 p.m. We have our retreats coming up this fall in October, so please check our website. We'll let you know when registration is open, but all the information about each website, uh, about each retreat is on our website, trinityallenwood.com. So there's a retreat for the men, and there's a retreat for the women. Uh, consecutive weekends there in October. So check those out. Make sure you put those dates on your calendar. Uh, in addition, our men's and women's, uh, women's Bible studies that are on Tuesday morning start up again in uh, early September. So those are integral parts of our ministry to women and our ministry to men. And so please check those out and be able to see the, the books that we're reading for those. We'll be going through Daniel and First and Second Thessalonians and I believe also Colossians, but those are great opportunities to dig deeper into the Word of God for Tuesday mornings, and so uh, keep that on your radar as well. Um, as you know, our Wednesday evening service where we record our podcast and we gather with two other local churches, that is on uh, break for the summer, but we still have our prayer gatherings here because that's a big part of what we do on Wednesdays at the end of our uh, combined service is we have a great time of dynamic prayer together. Of course, we wanted to continue to do that. And so here, the, the prayer gatherings will be here uh, from seven to eight on Wednesday evenings. And so uh, come and join us for just a good time of, of prayer uh, together with each other, just praying for specific needs and praying for things like the continued health and vision of Trinity and uh, that God will continue to use us and that we would uh, step into what he is already doing. But that is Wednesday nights from 7 to 8 right here at Trinity for prayer. And then uh, that Wednesday evening service uh, will begin again the first week of September. Uh, and so keep an eye out for that. But we wanted to make sure we continue to get together for prayer on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. Um, a couple other quick uh, notes that you should have gotten an email. Hopefully you got the, a chance to see it about some changes that we're making to uh, the way that we uh, kind of manage uh, access to our parking lots. So recently in the last few months, we've had some unfortunate incidents of some vandalism and people misusing our property, especially the, the side and the back parking lot. And uh, the leadership has uh, um, really done a great job of trying to address these issues in different ways. We actually met with somebody who is part of that, you know, doesn't go to the church, but um, it didn't end the way that we had hoped, but uh, we reached out, shared the gospel, and offered um, you know, some help and assistance in what we could do 
Um, and so, uh, unfortunately, that, that didn't work and, and issues continued. And so, uh, as the email said, what we're doing is we're simply going to just um, uh, block access to the, the rear parking lot and the side parking lot um, during the week. And, uh, and so, um, if anybody is coming during the week to church, uh, we can park in the front and use the front entrance kind of not used to that, but um, we do have a front entrance, if many of you didn't know that, and, and you can, there's plenty of spots in the front or even on the side uh, to park, and so we'll be using the front entrance and the front um, parking lot during the week, and of course, the access to all the lots will be open for Sunday mornings and any special church events. Uh, we're just trying to, like I said, just kind of manage access um, of vehicles, particularly into the parking lots, um, just uh, because of what we've been experiencing. So it's unfortunate, but we'll be able to do that, and um, we'll see what the Lord does. But does that make sense? Just kind of doing that. So check your email if you haven't seen that, if you have more questions, but that's what we're doing. And so uh, whenever we have gatherings here, like Sunday and large events, of course, everything will have full access. But just during the week and overnights, we need to just make sure that uh, we're not allowing vehicles to get back into uh, our back and side lots. And so um, that's what that email was all about. And then uh, finally, I just want to mention that myself and Claudia will be uh, visiting family this coming week down in South Carolina. Um, we haven't seen them in a while. Claudia's parents are down there, and, and her sister and uh, my brother-in-law and her nephews are there. And so we're going to be away this week visiting them. And so uh, next Sunday, Scott Schwartz, who is one of our missionaries that we support, will be here, and he'll share the message. And we have some special visitors coming next Sunday as well, and some of you know about that. And so. I would encourage you to make sure that you're here to hear a special message uh, from Scott. He will be doing something else other than being in Matthew, and so you'll want to come and hear that and, uh, and get to see some of our special visitors as well. So that is uh, next Sunday. And so we would appreciate prayers for just uh, safe travels, and uh, we're actually doing something different. We're actually bringing our dog with us on this trip, and so haven't done that before. Some of you are seasoned travelers with your pets. Yeah, uh, we haven't done that. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So to say it's vacation, we'll, we'll let you know if it was vacation when we come back. So we'll see. But uh, we're yeah, we're looking forward to that. So um, anyway, thank you for that. Just want to make sure everybody knew um, what we were doing there. So um, let me do this. Let me pray for us again. Then we're going to open God's Word. We are in the Gospel of Matthew in our continued series. I'll give us a quick uh, update and sort of review about where we are. And uh, then we'll get right into Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. So let's pray. Father, we have been praying this morning. We have been worshiping you. We thank you, God, for your word and for worship. Specifically this morning, reminding us of who you are, the great I am, the self-existent one. And you are the God of all gods. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, and yet you have called us to be your own. We identify now with you, Father, through your Son, Jesus. We thank you that we can know who we are, that we are in Christ children of yours, children of the living God, and that we can sing that and we can proclaim that that whom you have set free is free indeed. So we thank you that we can stand on those promises and that we can proclaim with all godly confidence 
nothing to do with ourselves, but all about what you have done, that we belong to you. And we are thankful for that. We are thankful for Jesus, above all else, who makes this relationship with you possible. So God, as we open your word now, would you please continue to reveal yourself to us? Reveal more about who you are and who we are as we choose to identify ourselves in you and with you. May we always be confident and do that with boldness in this world who does not know you. May we, Father, stand for you firm and secure and safe in who we are. And Jesus, you get all the praise for it. So now, Lord, bless the reading and hearing and study of your word. In that name we pray. Amen. Amen. We spend our lives trying to figure out who we are, don't we? Who are we? What is it that's important about us? What identifies us? There's a lot of talk these days about AI, artificial intelligence. Will it ever become sentient, meaning conscious of itself? These things that we have never considered before, unless we go way back and remember those episodes of Star Trek or Star Wars, right, that we considered what might be in the future. And we think about this idea of artificial intelligence, but it brings up many important philosophical and theological questions, but perhaps none more important than who are we? How do we self-identify for even if there can be intelligence or existence that is artificial and understandably so outside of the creation of God, it does not and cannot have a heart or a soul because we have one creator, God, the great I am, who created us in his image. May we never forget that, that we are in his image and nothing else and no one else is created in his image. And so we are, the scripture says, we are the pinnacle of his creation. And so that's why we sing songs like we just did, who you say I am. That's important that we remind ourselves and each other about who God says we are, that we are his and we belong to him. That is how we self-identify. We identify ourselves as children of God because that is how he identifies us. See the importance? But even that begins with who God is. It is important that we understand who God is if we're going to understand who we are. And even if there comes a day when we might interact with who we may think is a person, an intelligent being, but yet is artificial, we realize <clears throat> there may be deception in that coming down the road, but yet we can be secure and safe and confident in who we are in God and Jesus Christ. Amen? Because he is the one who gets to decide who we are. You know, in our passage today, there is this grave occurrence of mistaken identity. 
See, if you remember from our, our past readings in Matthew, that we are now looking at the person of John the Baptist, right? We heard about the birth of Jesus, and, and uh, Matthew, as a chronicler of, of Jesus' life and ministry, he skips over all of Jesus' early childhood, his teens, his young adulthood, but now we have met Jesus and towards the beginning of his ministry. But first, Matthew introduces us to the forerunner of the Messiah, and that is John the Baptizer, as he was nicknamed, or John the Baptist, as we know him. And he came as a prophet in the long line of prophets after having been no prophet sent by God for about 400 years since Malachi, the last prophet, the last book of the Old Testament. And here comes this guy who dresses like an Old Testament prophet, who eats food like one, who lives in the same general area and has the same basic lifestyle of a prophet. But yet the people, and specifically the religious leaders of the day, who we'll learn about this morning, didn't know quite what to make of him, and so they asked him this question, who are you? But just like Jesus would do later, they asked him that same question of Jesus, who are you? John the Baptist in our passage today turns that question back on them. But isn't that just like what Jesus would do, right? When people would ask him a question, he would say, let me ask you a question. So John the Baptist in our passage today in Matthew 3, 7 to 12, addresses the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the two most important sects and um, parts of the religious system of the Hebrew people of that day. He addresses them, he condemns them, he challenges them with the message that he had for everyone. But why in particular these religious leaders? Because they were mistaken about who they were and they were leading the people astray, the people under their influence, about who they were. See, John wanted to make sure that everyone was on the same page about who God was, who the Messiah was, and who they were. So John the Baptist, in his address to the Pharisees and the Sadducees in our passage today, is talking all about identity. I read as our call to worship that familiar story of Moses and the burning bush as God calls him to go to Pharaoh and to Egypt, and God would use him to set his people free from bondage of slavery. But Moses asks God this important question, who are you? Who should I tell your people has sent me? And God identifies himself, I am. Isn't that amazing? I hope that that just made you think this morning and even helped you in your time of worship just to, to ponder that statement. God says, tell them I am sent you because I am that I am, he says. See, the whole Bible is God introducing himself to us. God has revealed himself to us, who he is, his nature, his character, his promises. God has revealed himself to us. There is what we call general revelation, God revealing himself. That would be things like nature. We see the evidence of God around us, but there's also special revelation. God has 
revealed himself to us through his word, we call the Bible, his very word about himself, and of course through Jesus Christ, special revelation, who is also called the word. So God, in his infinite sovereignty and wisdom, has chosen to reveal himself to his creation, to us, his people created in his image. And so in our text today, which I'm about to read, John the Baptist is making sure that the religious leaders understood who God was, who he was, and more importantly, who they were, because they were gravely mistaken about who they thought they were and their position with God. Now, please note, too, as a a matter of background and a foundation for our passage today, that our God, who identifies himself, also identifies an enemy, does he not? That there's an enemy of God, he's called Satan, and he is our enemy as well. And one of the things that he does is he deceives. He is called the great deceiver, and our enemy wants to confuse us. He wants to get us to question what God has actually said. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and we see that with Satan deceiving Adam and Eve, saying, did God really say that? Is that really who you are, Adam and Eve? And so from then on, Satan's tactic is to confuse and deceive who we are. We ask that question, who are we? Because this question we ask of ourselves and each other is inextricably connected to the bigger question, who is God? If you remember the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were trying to put a label on John the Baptist. We do that today, don't we? We label others. We label people, things that we don't know. Part of our sinful DNA, right, that we question we are afraid, we fear things that we don't know, and so we slap a label on it so it makes ourselves feel better, right? And so they were trying to do that with John the Baptist. They said, oh, so you must be Elijah, because you're trying to look like him and act like him. He says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, you must be a, a prophet. He even says, no, no, I'm, I'm not the prophet you're looking for. And they say, well, then you must be the Christ. See, they kept trying to put him in a box and identify him so they could figure him out and make sense of him because they were confused and they were also afraid. But John the Baptist very quickly and adeptly turns the attention to Jesus and says, no, I am not the one that you think, but I am here to tell you all about the one you are looking for. That'll come out in our reading for today. But see, these leaders too, as a matter of setup here for the reading, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they thought they knew who they were. But it was a case of mistaken self-identity. See, the religious leaders of the day, they thought that they had automatic entrance and citizenship into the kingdom of heaven that the king, the Messiah, would bring in. And they thought they would automatically get in. Why? Because they were ancestors of Father Abraham. They figured, well, that gets us a ticket right in, and so we just identify with him. See, it's all about who do you identify with. And so they thought, well, because of their heritage, 
and because of their family, even because of their work and their efforts, that they would automatically have entrance into the kingdom that the king was bringing. We just sang this song, Who You Say I Am. We need to understand who we are, church, in Jesus Christ, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees were mistaken. We don't ever want to be mistaken about who we are and who God is. It's kind of like today. There are many people who think that they're going to be in heaven, and if you ask them why, what would they say? I'm a good person. I never killed anyone. I never really stole anything of great importance, right, or value. I was born into a Christian family, and, um, you know, I have good Christian morals, or I have good morals, you know, I'm a good person, therefore I will be in heaven with God. But do we really know, do they really know who God is and what it takes to enter into his presence for all eternity? For Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says that we have been saved by grace through faith, in Christ. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So we can sing that song we were singing with great confidence, because why? It does not depend on us. It depends on Jesus, and God calls us, in Christ, his children. Therefore, we identify with him. John 1, chapter 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name. Do you see what John says in the opening of his gospel? If you believe in Jesus Christ and you receive him as Savior, then you have the right to become his child. That's how we identify. That is our true identity. Let me read this for you now. Matthew 3, 7 through 12. It says this. So this is John the Baptist addressing these religious leaders. So when he, meaning John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, remember John was baptizing in the Jordan? Get to more about his baptism and who he was baptizing, but he was baptizing people in the Jordan River, and here come this great many Pharisees and Sadducees, but it says they're coming for baptism. Just hold on to that for a second. So John the Baptist says to them, you brood of vipers, how do you like that for uh, an address? You, oh, is that welcoming? Hey, come to get baptized, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? There's a bit of irony and sarcasm there. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones... God is able to raise up children to Abraham. That's his address. The first time he interacts with the religious leaders. He goes on to say, the ax is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, again, John the Baptist saying, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. I am not fit to remove or untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up 
the chaff with unquenchable fire. How is that for our first meeting between John the Baptist and the religious leaders? But of course, he is leading the way, and do we not know that Jesus himself would soon have many interactions and encounters with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes? So this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So I'd like to just point out three brief things from this to make sure that we take away some things that God would want us to to learn and to grow in. First, we're going to talk about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Why is it important to understand who they are? Secondly, what does that mean when he says that they are broods of vipers and that the ax is already at the root and we talk about the winnowing fork? What's the, the, the significance of those? And finally, there is a difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism that we have today, the baptism of Jesus Christ. We want to make sure we understand all three of those things and what does that mean for us. So first, let's take a look at this and just have some of these things highlighted. I added the, the bold and the underline just to help us kind of get our eyes fixed on this passage. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and we've heard their names quite often. We have a general idea that they are religious leaders of the day, but they were both religious sects within Judaism during the time of Jesus Christ. So not the only two, but probably the two most prominent. They both, they had many things in common, but some significant differences. They both as groups revered uh, Moses and the law, uh, the Mosaic law. They both had some semblance of political power, so they were connected in political ways. Um, Another group called the Sanhedrin, which we read about in Scripture, was sort of the supreme court of the day of the nation of Israel. There were 70 members, and uh, of the the group of Sanhedrins, maybe we look at it sort of like the Congress today or the Supreme Court, um, there were both Sadducees and Pharisees who were part of the Sanhedrin. So you get the idea that they had power and they had influence, right? They were learned, they were intelligent, they were deeply religious, but also combining that with political power. They had leadership among the people of Israel. A little bit about each of the Sadducees, they were more like part of what we would call like aristocrats. They were like sort of the, the, the high society, right, in the Jewish culture. They were very religiously conservative. They stuck to a literal interpretation of Scripture, but we would probably even say now like a hyper-literal interpretation, um, the Sadducees did. They had much power over worship in the temple where Jews would go to worship. The Sadducees uh, on a whole tended to be pretty well off uh, financially and sought out and held powers of position. They were the chief priests and the high priests who came mostly from the Sadducees. And again, we're part of the Sanhedrin, sort of the Supreme Court of the day. The Pharisees, however, they sort of represented more of, let's say, the common people in a sense, not so much high society, but a little bit more respect of the masses of people. The Pharisees, they held more to not necessarily the, the literal translation of the Torah, the Holy Scriptures, but more, were more about the oral traditions 
They gave the oral traditions of the rabbis and the other leaders equal authority to the written word of God, and their place of influence wasn't so much the temple, but more of the synagogues, the smaller places of meeting. The Sadducees really stopped um, kind of having influence and sort of faded out from existence after 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. But what's important to note, and bring, going to bring us for today, but the ways of the Pharisees, that part of the religious leadership, um, that kind of continued today because, see, the Pharisees were part of this group that, uh, that came up out of the, the Babylonian exile. Remember when the people of Israel had been disobedient and God allowed Nebuchadnezzar and the nation of Babylon to take them into captivity, into exile for 70 years? Well, when they were able to come back to the land, which you read about in Ezra and Nehemiah in the Old Testament, there was a group of people who wanted to keep the law. They wanted to make sure that the traditions and the law of Moses were upheld. And so it kind of started as a good thing, but then over the years and over the centuries, it kind of um, degraded into more legalism and uh, giving much more credence to the man-made traditions and rabbinic interpretations, let's say, of the Mosaic Law. Does that make sense? Like, that's basically what happened. And so the Pharisees were kind of responsible then throughout uh, Jewish history for the compilation of what's called the Mishnah, which is part of the Talmud, which is the traditions and teachings of the rabbis, sort of the commentary on the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And so that's kind of where that all came in for today, which kind of led the way to, very in, general, in very general terms, modern-day rabbinic Judaism, so that traces its way all the way back through the Pharisees and somewhat the Sadducees, but mostly the Pharisees. So that's a little bit about who John the Baptist was dealing with. And so you can understand that they were concerned and even afraid about what was happening with this guy, John the Baptist. Was he really Elijah come back? Should, does that mean that this guy, Jesus, really is the, the king? Because they knew that from their tradition and reading of Scripture that Elijah would come first. We talked about that last week. But, so they were trying to figure out who he was. But in our passage, we see that John the Baptist takes the opportunity, just like Jesus will later on, to address them. And so you see, they were coming to be baptized. But do you really think that was true? Because we know that John was baptizing for repentance of sins. See, it said that uh, in last week's passage, that that's why people, uh, the the Jews were coming to John the Baptist, because he was calling people out for repentance. Church, let's make sure we understand this. If nothing else, John the Baptist, as a prophet, right, the last true prophet before Jesus comes, he was doing what all the other prophets of the Old Testament did. Ezekiel, Isaiah, all the prophets, he was calling the people of Israel back to repentance. He was calling them to repent of their disobedience of the Mosaic law, disobedience and go back to God, right? It was to repent of their sin and to follow God. And so that's what John the Baptist was doing. But in particular, John the Baptist was doing this to prepare the way for the Messiah. See, all the prophets of the Old Testament had done that, but John the Baptist knows this is the time that the Messiah is near. And so John the Baptist was calling the people of Israel to repent of their sin. Now, this is important. What was the sin 
of the people of Israel today. See, we kind of look at this passage and all of a sudden we're thinking baptism and repentance and sin and we're putting it into our context. There's great symbolism and connect there, but we have to keep the two separate and here's why. John the Baptist, remember, came before Jesus, didn't he? So John the Baptist is saying these words and preaching repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand before Jesus even taught, before his, the, the bulk of his ministry, before Jesus went to the cross and before he rose again. John the Baptist is addressing the nation of Israel. Now we know then, after they reject him, we have what's called the church, and we have Jew and Gentile together through belief and faith alone in Jesus Christ, as it is today. But John the Baptist came proclaiming repentance for the people of Israel. Why? Because Jesus was the king. It's the whole theme of our uh, series, the king and kingdom. He came to offer the kingdom to the people of Israel because they had been waiting for it because God had promised it. But see, there needed to be a readiness for it. They needed to repent of their sin. And here was the sin that the people of Israel as a whole, individually, but as a whole, were following more of the rabbinic traditions, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, than the actual law of Moses given at Mount Sinai. See, under the Mosaic covenant, we see that the people of Israel were able to, if they were obedient to the law of Moses, they were able to enjoy the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. God made unconditional covenants with Abraham to the people of Israel. And no matter what the people of Israel did, God would give them the land and the seed and the blessing, right? That there'd be a king, there'd be this Messiah. They would have the blessings of the king and the kingdom. But see, they needed to keep the law of Moses in order to enjoy those blessings. So that's why when they were disobedient, God allowed them to be taken out of the promised land because they were disobedient, so they didn't get to enjoy the relationship. It's like parents like us with children, right? When your children disobey you, you need to punish them, right? Amen. Thank you, brother. Amen. A big hearty amen from the front row. We understand the principle of that, right? Children are disobedient, and in, in one way or another, you punish them to teach them, right? To teach them between right and wrong. And so God is the same way. But of course, that punishment is always to teach them because we have their best interests in mind, right? This hurts me more than it hurts you. That's the idea. But it's always to teach and admonish to bring them back into fellowship. See, because when we have to punish our kids, there is fellowship that's broken. They're still our children, right? No matter what, they're still our children, but there's a fellowship that's broken. It's like that in any relationship. And so you're not on good terms and there's frustration. You're not speaking to one another. Maybe there's some anger and, and resentment, you know, there's hurt feelings because there's, there is a fellowship that is out of sync but yet the relationship is always still there. That's the beauty of the fact that we don't ever lose our salvation. We believe that and teach that here because our relationship with God is secure in Christ. Our fellowship might suffer when we are disobedient children of our Heavenly Father, but then we can do what 1 John 1, 9 says, that we can confess our sins because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's for believers to restore our fellowship with God. 
But see, that's what John has come to do. He has come to preach repentance of sins to the nation of Israel, saying your God has given you these unconditional covenants through Abraham, but you have the Mosaic covenant, so you can enjoy it, but you're being disobedient. So repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, because Jesus was on the scene. That's why it was at hand, because the king had arrived. He was about to offer the kingdom if they would accept it, right, they would have to first be ready. They would have to cleanse themselves. They would have to repent of their sin of not obeying the Mosaic law, but, but actually following the religious leaders instead. See, what does that look like for today for us? Here's what the, the connection is. It's like when we choose to follow a religious system rather than engage in a relationship with God. We follow just religiosity or religious system, and it's kind of like we're being the nation of Israel following the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, it's whatever they say, it's whatever they say about God and about the Bible. So John was recalling them to repent for that because the king was there. And if they were going to enter into the kingdom that the king was offering, they needed to be ready. That's why John the Baptist came preparing the way. When we read that from Isaiah, it was, he was a fulfillment of that prophecy, that there was one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's what they were doing. That's what John the Baptist was doing. So he was baptizing. So a little bit more about that in a second. So he says in verse 9, do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. So he's calling them out saying, don't think that you automatically get into heaven and into the kingdom, I should say, because you say that you're descendants of Abraham. So again, you can hear the tone in John the Baptist's voice, and he says, I say, even from these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. Well, can you imagine what they thought of that? Their whole identity, so we're talking about mistaken identity, their whole identity was wrapped up in, oh, we are people of Abraham, we're children of Abraham, so we get, you know, a free pass. And he says, you know what? John the Baptist is like, that's not what gets you in. Why? Because their hearts were hard. On the outside, they look good. Jesus, later on, when he confronts them, he calls them whitewashed tombs. On the outside, it looks nice and pretty and white and clean and fresh, but on the inside, it's dead, rotting flesh and bones. So he's calling about the hearts. Jesus calls the heart, right? Jesus is saying, God knows your heart. Remember when Jesus taught about adultery? He taught about murder. He says, oh, you've heard it said, right, about adultery. He says, if you just think about someone in lust, you've committed adultery. You've heard it said, do not murder. But if you have hatred in your heart towards a, a brother or sister, then you are guilty of murder. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying sin begins in the heart. The actions are the outflow of that. So John the Baptist is calling the people of Israel back to the heart of the Mosaic law rather than just all the ritual teachings and outworkings from the religious leaders. So he was saying it's not this religious system that has you doing all these things to try to get right with God. You're missing the heart. So repent and get ready because the king has brought the kingdom. So he even then calls them brood of vipers. The viper is like a snake, right? Where do we hear first in the Bible about a snake? about Satan, right? Satan was trying to deceive Adam and Eve. 
He's calling out the Pharisees saying, you're deceiving the people. You're a bunch of deceivers. That's what he says. You're leading people astray. God doesn't like it. So repent. He's even calling them to repent. Can you imagine what they would be thinking? No, we call the people to repent. We don't have to repent ourselves. We're doing nothing wrong. So John the Baptist is calling them out to prepare the way for Jesus. They were mistaken about their identity. They were deceived themselves, and they were deceiving others. So he calls them a brood of vipers. He goes on to say, he kind of elaborates, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. This is some strong language, right? So, the fruit of the tree, at the root of the trees. So no matter what kind of fruit, maybe it looks really good on the outside. He's saying the roots are rotting away. That fruit's not going to last. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. It may be fruit, but if it's not good fruit, it'll be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now let's spend the last few minutes together just addressing this. Here's why that's important. When he talks about fire and judgment and then baptism, let's bring this all sort of into focus. John the Baptist says in verse 11 and 12, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's what he was doing, right? He was saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all those who said yes, who are identifying with John the Baptist and his message, right? We would later turn over to Jesus. All those identifying, they came, they were the ones he was baptizing. Because baptizing in water in in the Jordan River, like we do and baptize in water, was symbolic of their change of heart. Because the word repentance simply means a change of mind. That's the actual meaning of that word. In the Hebrew and the Greek, it means to change your mind. So he's saying, change your mind, people of Israel, about keeping the Mosaic law and not the religious system of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and change your mind about who the Messiah is, because it is Jesus. He is the king. And so those that changed their mind, repented, were baptized. It was a public display of the change that had happened. See, it was symbolic, but it was important. You know, even Jesus was baptized. So he says, I baptize you with the water of repentance, but he who is coming after me, of course, he's talking about Jesus, is mightier than I. I can't even take his sandals off. Some versions say untie his sandals. But now, what does John the Baptist say? It's important. He says, he, meaning Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, there's debate about what this looks like. Is there two baptisms? Is there one? Is he talking about two different kinds of baptism coming? Is there one baptism? I think it's probably one, but here's what's important for us this morning. There's a difference between what John was doing and what Jesus will do and has done. John the Baptist was calling people to repentance to get ready for the Messiah, but do we tell people today with the gospel of grace that you need to clean up your act before you come to Jesus? No, it's just the opposite. Because, again, this is all before the cross. Once Jesus goes to the cross and is raised from the dead, we know Jesus has accomplished all that is needed, right? So now as believers, we can repent and ask forgiveness, not to restore our relationship, that's secure in Jesus, but to restore fellowship but yet there is still the the same symbolism of baptism. So John, see, baptism had 
been in existence before John. You know, he wasn't the inventor of baptism. The Jews were doing that. They actually would baptize Gentile converts. They would baptize them. So baptism was known, but John is now giving it a new uh, meaning. And then Jesus comes along and does the same thing, gives it an even different meaning for us for today. Because today in Christian baptism, we baptize believers. That's what we believe and teach here, believer's baptism. So when you're old enough to understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that Jesus is the one and only Savior and that it only is by faith in him because of God's grace that we can receive as a gift that uh, salvation, that when we do that and we believe in him and we are saved, we are then to be baptized. Baptism does not confer salvation on us, but it is an outward expression of that change that has already happened in our heart. And so that's the key. But see, for John's baptism, it was specific to the people of Israel. That's who he came to call back to repentance. But yet there still was a baptism, a dunking in the water and coming out, symbolizing that they now, what? Identified with John the Baptist, what he was teaching, and more importantly, the person he was pointing to, Jesus. See that? Baptism is all about identification. So we go back to the key theme for today. The Pharisees and the Sadducees had a bad case of mistaken self-identity. They thought they had a free pass into the kingdom because of how good they were, how religious they were, and because of who they were related to. But John the Baptist comes along and says, you need to repent, go back to who God says you are, people under the Mosaic law at that time. Remember, Jesus was born under the law. And repent so that you are ready for the king. But of course, in Christian baptism, we say, there's nothing you can do to get yourselves ready because Jesus has done it all. And all we do is believe. So finally, we understand that our identity is in Jesus and him alone that this life that we lead in Jesus is not about a religion and religious system. It is about relationship. John the Baptist, listen church, John the Baptist prepared the way for the Jewish people to receive their king. Are you ready for the return of the king? Are you ready for Jesus' return? We believe the Bible teaches that Jesus will first come back to claim his bride, that is the church, that we will meet him in the air, and he will take us from this world to be with him forever, to rule and to reign with him in his wonderful kingdom. Now, what he will then do after a time of great tribulation, they can read about in the most of the book of Revelation, that Jesus will then come back directly to the earth. We call that the second advent, right? John the Baptist was talking about his first advent. He was there. We're talking about Jesus coming back, when he comes back as king and judge. He will come back and call his people Israel once again, saying simply, now do you believe in me? And Paul says they will, tells us that in Romans, and that they will one day believe in him. And Paul says all Israel will be saved. So we ask ourselves this question, believers, if you are here and you've already trusted in Jesus, 
in him alone for salvation of your sin? Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Are you living a righteous and holy life? Are there sins that you need to repent of before God? Again, not to secure your salvation, not to maintain it or to pay it back, but simply to restore fellowship. Don't we want to be in restored fellowship with Jesus when he comes back for us, his church? So to all the believers, we ask that question, are we ready for Jesus to come back? Are we living as he called us to live? Are we telling others about the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace of salvation? But if you're here with us or perhaps joining us through live stream this morning, let me ask you this, if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, if you have not done what the Bible says, that is simply believe in the Lord Jesus, for the salvation of your sin, recognizing that you are a sinner, separated from God for all eternity because you were born that way, not only by birth but by choice, that you are a sinner in need of rescue, of salvation. And the Bible says that there is only one way to be rescued, and that is to believe in the Lord Jesus because he did it all. He died on the cross, he rose again, he said it was finished, and in him that was complete. It is simply now offered to us this free gift of salvation as a gift for us to simply receive by faith. We do that by believing that Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, God himself, and that he did what he said he was going to do, die on the cross, come back to life, and that he did that for us. If you have not yet done that, how do you know that you will go to heaven? There's an old uh, sort of proposition that Christians would use and talk to people who are not yet Christians and say, if you died today, went to heaven, why would God let you in? What would you say if God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? Would it be, well, I've been a good person, I never hurt anybody? I went to church a few times. I had some good family members that were Christians, so I think I'm good. You should let me in. God says that we only enter into his presence Jesus, because Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if today is the first day you're hearing that, and you have been searching, let today be that day of salvation and freedom for you. So you'll know how to answer that question, and you can lead others in that way. Church, as I said last week, we are to be living like John the Baptist, simple lives, Holy lives, committed, singular in focus and mission, no matter what the world says about us, about how we dress and how we act and how we live our lives, but we are to be living out the gospel, telling others about Jesus, right? Preparing the way, not for his first advent, but for his return. Let's do that together. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you for our time together this morning. God, would you please embolden us? with this message this morning from your word. Would you help us to remember John the Baptist and his ministry that he was calling first century Israel back to repentance of the Mosaic law? Would you remind us, Father God, that we are now no longer under the law, but in Christ, Jew and Gentile are one. Father, we thank you that we live during this time, this age of grace. And we thank you, Father God, for the beautiful and simple message of the gospel. 
Lord, may we leave here, please, with uh, boldness, with confidence in you, all confidence in you. And may we leave proclaiming that good news to help prepare the way for Jesus to return. Father, we know that you desire worshipers who will worship you in spirit and in truth. We want there to be more worshipers in heaven. And so God, give us that confidence to do so, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Use us to prepare the way as your ambassadors. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Lord bless you.
He's a 